KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. President Biden is set to make his first trip to Mexico on Monday. What will it mean for immigration in San Diego and across the country? I'm Matt Hoffman, and this is KPBS Roundtable. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. As Biden readies for his first presidential visit to the U.S.-Mexico border, he's announcing a major shift to curb illegal crossings. It comes as the president is traveling south of San Diego to Mexico City next week. He's meeting with the leaders of Canada and Mexico, and immigration is set to be a top issue. The U.S. is seeing record numbers of illegal border crossings as another major change in policy is looming. Title 42 allows border officials to turn away migrants and asylum seekers on the grounds of stopping the spread of COVID-19. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch says the, quote, border crisis is not a COVID crisis. And the Supreme Court is set to hear arguments next month about removing the policy. Joining us to discuss all of these developments and the looming impact on the San Diego border region are... Elliot Spaggett, he's the U.S. immigration team lead for the Associated Press. iNewsource's border and immigration reporter Sofia Mejias-Pasco is also here with us. And KPBS's border reporter Gustavo Solis is back. I want to welcome you all here to Roundtable. In the run-up to Biden's trip to Mexico, he gave a speech on Thursday about border security. Here's some of what he had to say about stiffening enforcement and expanding a program that was first used for Venezuelan migrants. My message is this, if you're trying to leave Cuba, Nicaragua, or Haiti, you have, and we, or have agreed to begin a journey to America, do not, do not just show up at the border. Stay where you are and apply legally from there. Starting today, if you don't apply through the legal process, you will not be eligible for this new parole program. This first question's for everyone. And Elliot, we're going to start with you. What did you all learn from Biden's comments and the expansion of this migrant parole program that the president says has actually helped reduce the number of Venezuelans illegally crossing? Well, he's right about that. It has reduced the number of uh, Venezuelans illegally entering the country. I mean, it's really a, a massive, huge announcement that got maybe a little bit lost in all the news about Kevin McCarthy and everything else going on. And also, it is a bit complicated, but at bottom, uh, he's, you know, ending asylum or maybe ending is a little bit too strong because there's going to be some exceptions, they say, but effectively ending asylum for anyone from these four countries. And at the same time, extending a sort of olive branch, if you will, by saying you can apply for parole. But parole is very different than asylum. And the way it's set up now with, with the Venezuelans and now with these new nationalities is you have to have a financial sponsor, someone who's going to sponsor you for two years. You have to pay for your airfare to come here. You have to apply online and go through a pretty rigorous application process. So you have to have access to the internet and kind of be be savvy. So it's very different than than asylum. It's uh, it they will allow you know he said up to thirty thousand people from these four countries on parole, 
but anyone who crosses illegally from these four countries is going to be turned back Mm -hmm. to Mexico. And Gustavo and Sofia, what are some of your reactions here? Well, just jumping on what Elliot said, I think the requirement is also to have a passport, which, I mean, good luck getting a passport in Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba right now. It's really, really difficult to get one under normal circumstances. I've talked to sources on the ground, and the response is condemnation for for the most part. They kind of call it a carrot and stick approach, but the stick is outweighing the carrot at this point. So it seems like nobody's really happy about this. And then on the other side, you know, Stephen Miller is tweeting about amnesty to, to illegals again. So it seems like everyone kind of border policy the last couple of years, nobody's happy with, with what's going on right now. And Sophia, go ahead. I'd say that we've seen this kind of messaging before from the Biden administration, this idea to stay where you are and don't come to the border. But we know that many folks are in circumstances where they have an urgent need to flee their home countries for a lot of reasons and for whom this messaging and this parole program just doesn't make sense or doesn't work for them. And we also heard from the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Here he is speaking earlier Thursday. Title 42 or not, the border is not open. We will continue to fully enforce our immigration laws in a safe, orderly, and humane manner. Individuals without a legal basis to remain in the United States will be subject to prompt expulsion under Title 42 or removal under Title 8. And Gustavo, we're going to start with you here on this question. Is this a change in tone for this administration when it comes to immigration or even border enforcement? I don't see it as one. I mean, like we've alluded to, I mean, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris said, you know, don't come early on in the administration. DHS secretaries have been saying the same thing since Biden took over, right? The border is not open. We're going to enforce our laws to the full extent of, of the law. If you come here legally, you will get in trouble. I think those are the same talking points that we've had since 2020. They may sound different because we associate anti-immigration policies with the Trump administration and and the rhetoric back then was just a bit more blatant. But in terms of the substance, I mean, they've been saying the same thing for the last couple of years now. And Sophie and Elliot, what are your thoughts here? You know, I agree with with Gustavo to a point, but I I was looking today at Joe Biden's campaign website, if you go to joebiden.com slash immigration, and it's all about, you know, criticizing Trump for inhumane border policies and how we need to be open to asylum seekers and be this Statue of Liberty beacon of hope. That that rhetoric is is pretty much gone. It is gradually gone. On that website, I noticed he took particular point of criticizing what's known as the transit ban, which is, you know, anyone, this was one of Trump's policies where if you travel through Mexico, you have to seek asylum there before seeking asylum in the United States. Well, now they're, they're going to be coming out with a rule. This was kind of buried in the announcement today, but they're going to be coming out with a rule that does exactly what Biden criticized. Now, Mayorkas was asked about this today at the news conference, and it was obviously a sensitive subject. He brought it back up and said, no, we're, we're, we're having this uh, online platform where you can make appointments at the border and, and seek exemptions. But, you know, a lot of the criticism today from the advocates was that this is basically Trump 2.0. I think the criticism from the advocates, it just kind of shows how divorced the policymakers are from what's going on on the ground, right? If you've gone to uh, any migrant shelter in Tijuana or anywhere along the southern border and you expect people to get their smartphones and download an app and make an appointment, that's ludicrous. I mean, a lot of these people speak languages that just don't appear on the app, particularly indigenous folks. So like, how are they supposed to, to do that? Like, it's like there's 
no understanding of the population that, that we're dealing with at the border. And when we mention that app, we're referring to the government's CBP-1 app. The president talked about it on Thursday, and it's part of this new parole program. And Sophia, do you, do you have any additional thoughts here? Yeah, I, I think this is just the administration trying to tackle this narrative, this idea that people are, you know, rushing the border, that it's mayhem at the border with this hardline approach on immigration, which we have heard before. And, and we know that a lot of the reporting out there about what's happening on the border isn't necessarily true across you know, all areas of the border, like here in San Diego, there's no one really rushing the border to get across. And so I think this messaging from the Biden administration is, again, just trying to tackle that that narrative going on. And we've been hearing a lot about Title 42 as all this is happening. And we know it can get a little bit confusing. And again, that's a policy that allows migrants to be quickly turned away on the grounds of stopping the pandemic. It applies not just to migrants, but also asylum seekers. And it seems that this has been sort of the de facto immigration policy over the last couple of years. But when it goes away, Sophia, what changes? So once Title 42 goes away, people without proper travel documents to enter the U.S. will be processed under Title 8, which is this body of federal immigration laws that we have. And under Title 8, immigration officials place migrants into removal proceedings during which they can make a claim to asylum, unlike with Title 42. But Title 8 also allows for expedited removal which is a way for immigration officials to sort of skip that hearing process. And it also comes with some penalties for migrants that didn't exist under Title 42. And Elliot, we know that some county supervisors here in San Diego and even the mayor of San Diego are saying that they just don't have the resources to help potentially, you know, more asylum seekers or even migrants who end up in our county. And Biden did say that more support for border communities is coming. But what can San Diegans expect if Title 42 is lifted? I, I don't know. I've given up trying to predict what is going to happen three months or six months or nine months from now. I mean, it is a a serious problem, as we all know. And um, I mean, I'd, I'd maybe differ a little bit with Sophia on the, it is a serious problem. The numbers were, what, 2.4 million crossings last year, up from 1.7 million the previous year, first time above 2 million. I mean, it is a, a serious issue. And the way people are crossing now is just, I mean, no one's happy with it. People are crossing in very large numbers. I, tonight, hope to go to Yuma, Arizona, where at midnight, hundreds of people start crossing and just turn themselves into the Border Patrol and get released because they're from countries that can't be sent home, to, you know, back home very easily under Title 42, Cubans and others. We'll see what, what happens there. But it's just not a system that makes any sense. And I don't think this policy really addresses the issue of getting due process to seek asylum. Uh, for those who most need it. And Elliot, staying with you here, you know, on the backdrop of this announcement, President Biden is going to be making his first trip to the border on Sunday. It's something that Republicans have criticized the Democratic president for not doing soon enough. Do we know why he's decided to to go there now? I don't know. But, you know, he is. And I think you, you, know, you mentioned going is on his way to Mexico City to meet with the Canadian prime minister and the Mexican president. So it's on the way. I was kind of surprised it took him this long. <laughs> I don't think, although, you know, maybe you could correct me, I don't think Obama, I don't know if he ever went to the border. You know, it's just indicative of, I think, what is it for both of them, Obama and Biden, an extremely, extremely difficult issue. Uh, Trump, of course, embraced it, was at the border, it seemed like, every month or two. 
And as Elliot just alluded to, the president will also have a summit with the leaders of Canada and Mexico to, quote, continue coordinating a regional response to irregular migration in the region. Gustavo, can you help break this down for us? What do they mean when they say irregular migration and what role does that play in what's happening at the border today? I think irregular migration is a bit of a goofy term, isn't it? I, I kind of hear it more often now, and I'm not exactly sure. Like, is there a real definition? I mean, it might be legal immigration, a nicer way to say legal immigration, or possibly recognizing the shift in the types of migrants coming into the country now, which went from, you know, the 90s, early 2000s and before. It was mostly single men, mostly from Mexico, migrating for economic reasons. I mean, so much so that... Um, until a few years ago, they may still have it, but the federal government, when you look at you know, border apprehension statistics, they had two categories, Mexican and OTM, which stands for other than Mexican. So that kind of tells you a little bit about how the system was built. And I think that shift in the types of migrants is very significant right now because our entire border infrastructure was built around single men, mostly economic migrants. It wasn't built to handle a large influx of children, families, and people seeking humanitarian assistance. And I think that fact is kind of small, a little bit nuanced, but super important that we have a system built for one thing and we're experiencing a type of migration that is totally different. And as was alluded to earlier, we saw a record number of southern border apprehensions last year. Elliot and anybody else, feel free to jump in here. Sophia, do federal officials expect that record pace to continue into 2023? And I'm not sure if you know why or why not. I haven't heard, I don't know if Sophia or Gustavo, if you have, I haven't heard any estimates. And I would just be very wary of them, especially after everything has happened. It's just, it's just so difficult to predict what, you know, how, how, how people are going to respond. But I, I do agree totally with, you know, Gustavo, that, that the system that we have was built for, you know, whether you agree with it or not, or think it was too harsh or too lenient, it was geared toward predominantly Mexican men who were, were going back and forth to work. And asylum just was sort of an afterthought, I think, or, or it just wasn't, it wasn't a top policy uh, concern. And the laws and the policies and the the infrastructure are just, just not at all set up to deal with that. And I don't think this announcement today changes that. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. You're listening to KPBS Roundtable, and we're talking about immigration as President Biden prepares to make his first trip to the U.S.-Mexico border. Our guests are iNews sources Sofia Mejias-Pasco, KPBS's Gustavo Solis, and Elliot Spaggett from the Associated Press. All of these policies, they have an impact on San Diego. Over the last few years, federal immigration officials have been coordinating migrant drop-offs with local shelters. But now we're hearing from operators of those shelters that they're stretched to capacity. That comes from the Union Tribune's Kate Morrissey's reporting. And Gustavo, it sounds like just before Christmas, some migrants actually started being dropped off at bus stations throughout the county with nowhere to go. What more can you tell us about that? Well, similar to what happened during the Trump administration, where where they were doing the same thing, kind of releasing migrants into random transit stops in the middle of the night or early in the morning. That's actually why we have a migrant shelter system in San Diego. That kind of prompted a group of nonprofits to create the Rapid Response Network. 
to respond rapidly <laughs> to what CBP was doing. The fact that they're doing it now could be a sign of a couple of things. I mean, maybe it's a sign that CBP is processing more migrants than before. We know that roughly 200 people are being allowed now into the U.S. through San Diego through Title 42 exemptions. But it's also important to note that the people being dropped off or reportedly being dropped off here in San Diego didn't cross in San Diego. They were flown in from other parts of uh, rural Arizona. I don't know if they're as far as Texas, but rural parts of the border that doesn't have as much uh, infrastructure as San Diego does. And Elliot and Sophia, do we know why this is happening now? Or, or I guess again, I should say. I would defer to others, but I, I think, you know, what I had read in, in, in the Union Tribune was that the Southwest flight problems last week were causing problems just getting flights out of San Diego and people were stuck and they, they didn't have a room for them at the at the shelters right now in San Diego. And I, I could be wrong, but I believe the issue is, I haven't heard much about it in the last few days as far as San Diego. I think we might be getting back to something more more normal. Do you guys know? No, that sounds about right, Elliot. I mean, it tracks with what the more common journey for migrants and asylum seekers here in San Diego. They don't, they come, San Diego's a, not a destination, it's a stopping point, right? It's a place where you come here for a day or two to connect with family or relatives or communities in other parts of the country, and then you get on a bus or train or plane and get out of here. And the Southwest fiasco did kind of bring that to a halt. Uh, and if you think about that, you have a shelter system where people stay for a day or two and then they go. What happens when they have nowhere to go and more people keep coming in? It just fills up. Yeah, I, I'd say that this is a pretty fragile system. It works best when people are able to stay only a few days. But, you know, even a few months ago, we saw a situation where these shelters in uh, San Diego were at capacity because of the number of Venezuelans that we were seeing coming into San Diego from other parts of the border who did not have sponsors and who ended up having to stay at the shelters longer. So there's a lot of different factors that can affect capacity at these shelters. And Sophia, you actually had a story earlier this week revealing that in Tijuana, migrant shelters there are also at capacity. What did you see and hear when you went and visited some of those? Right. I mean, lots of these shelters have been you know, at capacity for months now. We reported something similar in the summer. These are shelters working with often few resources and many you know, families, individuals in need. But I'd say there's a bit of anxiety from shelter directors surrounding what's to come after Title 42. You know, we have this exemption program right now that lets very few migrants into the U.S., but I think some shelter directors are skeptical that real access to uh, the asylum system in the U.S. will be recovered in a meaningful way once Title 42 ends. You know, we don't know exactly what that is going to look like, but even before Title 42, we saw practices like metering or Trump's Remain in Mexico program that also significantly restricted asylum access at the border. And Gustavo, we know that you've also visited some of these shelters that are south of the border, and Elliot actually just reported that people are still camping outside of them. But who are these people, and what exactly are they waiting for? Well, I mean, individually, like, story kind of changes a little bit by person, but they're mostly migrants, they're mostly asylum seekers. And, and as Sophia said, the system is overwhelmed right now. I've talked to people who have worked in migrants' shelters in Tijuana for 20 years and saying this is the worst situation it's ever been. They're at capacity. They're underfunded. A lot of these shelters got their funding or significant aid through donations from the U.S. Those haven't really recovered after the pandemic. Uh, it's gotten to a point where the, the capacity is being unmet and there's a lot of 
makeshift, unregulated shelters popping up. Some of them are good actors, but some of them are not. You hear stories about shelter directors taking donations, stealing money from migrants, things like that. And I think one of the, the factors driving up this kind of stress around the shelter system in Tijuana is that they are linked to the Title 42 exemptions. CBP kind of created this program, and I think as we've said, right, uh, Title 42 gives Border Patrol agents the discretion to grant exemptions on a case-by-case basis. But what the federal government has done is they've taken that decision-making process and given it to local nonprofits to decide which migrants should or shouldn't get exemptions. They give a list to CBP, and that's how they get in. Uh, since those nonprofits operate out of the shelters mostly, the shelters are kind of seen not only as a place to get shelter, but also as a place to get these Title 42 exceptions. So you have a lot of demand for those spaces. Yeah, it's a, it is a system that really makes no sense. And uh, it's really just sort of this guessing game that reporters and, and certainly migrants are engaged in of like which shelters are the best connected. And the nonprofits themselves hate this system too. I mean, they're put in this difficult situation of having to choose who gets these exemptions and who doesn't, which also kind of puts them in the crosshairs of, you know, anyone kind of threatening or trying to exploit the situation over there. They have told me that this is just the federal government abdicating the responsibility and throwing it in their shoulders. You know, Gustavo, you recently spoke with some immigration advocates who are disappointed with promises from President Biden on on immigration. How are some saying that, you know, these temporary border policies are completely changing the understanding of the asylum process? Yeah, well, this all kind of starts with President Donald Trump, right? He ran on this very public, blatant anti-immigration campaign to build a border wall, at one point ban immigration from Muslim-majority countries, uh, issue policies like Remain in Mexico, Title 42, and that effectively shut down asylum. And you have to consider that the American or the modern asylum system here in the U.S. goes back to World War II. There was this understanding that the U.S. had a responsibility to allow vulnerable people fleeing oppression to seek asylum here. And in just four years, the Trump administration kind of flipped that narrative. That responsibility is now seen as a burden that we need to kind of guard against. And Biden hasn't helped flip that narrative back. I mean, he's been reluctant to roll back Title 42. He's actually expanded it. As Elliot mentioned, his website is very clear about where he was as a campaign in terms of restoring a humane asylum system. But that hasn't happened. It's been two years of the Biden administration, two years where the Democrats had the White House and Congress and nothing's happened. So you can kind of tell where the frustration is coming from, from the advocate. And it's not just national policies. Some people are frustrated with local federal decisions like the closing of San Isidro's Ped West border crossing that happened back in 2020. But we're hearing that it's actually finally set to reopen next week. Elliot, if you can, what's the importance of this facility for the border community there or just even cross-border travel? Well, it's huge. I mean, um, I believe it's, I want to say 13,000 pedestrians were crossing before COVID every day. And I believe that the CBP thought it was, you know, about evenly split between the the Ped West, which you mentioned is a beautiful, you know, modern modern structure that it feeds into the United States at the uh, Las Americas Outlet Mall, right near the, you know, these very upscale stores. And then on the other side, really a rundown, you know, entry into the United States and uh, and even on the U.S. side, just older, older stores. It's not as, as new. Um, so it'll be definitely a, a plus for for pedestrians coming across, and yeah, that of course was a CBP decision, and uh, I, I'm puzzled by it. It was supposed to remember it was supposed to 
to reopen on the 21st, which was the day that Title 42 was supposed to end, and then the Supreme Court intervened. So I guess when they made that announcement yesterday, we should have known that something was coming because they seem to want to reopen Ped West at the same time that they're making these big changes on asylum. But yeah, that's reopening. I believe it's on Monday. Yeah, there was that initial false flag. And Elliot, we also know that there's new elected leaders in Washington. And can you first remind us, going back a little bit, there were talks of this last Congress addressing immigration or even a deal to allow those who came here illegally as kids to finally gain legal status. And we're talking about DACA there. Did any of that happen? No, uh, there was some last uh, gasp efforts, at, I believe, at farm workers, if I'm not mistaken, and others could maybe correct me on it. But it doesn't matter because it didn't go anywhere. It, it, it was like dead on arrival. But, I, you know, I continue to think that if there's anything, any area of agreement, it would be on DACA. If the, the time seems to be running out on DACA uh, in the courts, and if it comes down to having you know, 600,000 people who are who have a lot of public support suddenly be without any any legal status, I think you might expect a backlash. So it, there could be some bipartisan agreement there, even though Republicans will be reluctant to at least say that publicly, uh, even though they may say it privately. And before we go here, I want to ask you all, is there anything else on your radar when it comes to immigration or our southern border? And Sophia, we could start with you here. Yeah, I think, you know, I'll just be keeping an eye out for the Supreme Court to hear arguments next month. Uh, It will be interesting to see what those 19 mostly conservative-led states uh, will say in their arguments for keeping Title 42 in place. I might be looking a little bit more at what other countries do, particularly Mexico, Costa Rica, Colombia. Um, The U.S. is is leaning more on those countries to to do more, and Mexico did, certainly in today's announcement. Uh, But yeah, I think just keeping all the stuff that we've been talking about today, it's it's a, it's really to take a while for me to digest it at least, and and I think it's going to take a while to play out. And Gustavo? Yeah, I think maybe just shifting away from asylum. I think I mean immigration is so massive. I'm personally curious to see how or if there's any changes in legal employment-based immigration. I know there's a story recently about a change in prices for some of those, and there's been complaints from businesses about employment visas being very hard to get. There's been other countries like Canada and Mexico making it easier, kind of trying to take some of that labor away from the U.S. And it might give the economy like a a negative competitive wise. It may not help to be so anti-immigration in the long term. And I think maybe we'll see a little bit of that in the next couple of years, or at least I'll be on the lookout for it. And I know we always have these discussions, but at the end of the day, it's people that are impacted by these policies. And we're going to have to end the discussion there for this week's edition of KPBS Roundtable. And I want to thank our guests, Gustavo Solis from KPBS News, iNewsource's Sofia Mejias-Pasco, and the Associated Press's Elliot Spaggett. Be sure to stream our show anytime as a podcast. Roundtable is produced by Andrew Bracken, and Rebecca Chacon is our technical director. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman. Thanks so much for being here with us and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.